platform. So for this episode, I am delighted to welcome Mr. Joseph Siroff, the Chief Technology Officer of Compass Inc., a U.S. headquartered real estate technology disruptor. As the CTO of Compass, Mr. Siroff leads development of the real estate industry's first end-to-end platform and oversees the engineering team. He's a technologist with a passion for AI and hands-on experience in complex fields like machine learning, databases, big data, deep learning, neural networks, etc. Prior to working at Compass, Mr. Sirosh worked with tech teams at some of the world's biggest tech giants, such as Microsoft and Amazon. So welcome, Mr. Sirosh. Thank you for joining. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And my first question to you is, what led you to the complex field of AI and neural networks? So people generally tend to be scared of all these terms, but you've actually uh, gone deep into them. So, so what led you to do this? When I was 12, I encountered an article back in Kerala where I grew up in Malayalam Manorama about AI and robotics. So I was always uh, a child who liked to tinker. Um, and uh, I had, you know, I've done electronic hobbies and everything. And I read this article and I was actually very fascinated by the prospect that someday software will become intelligent. Now, I ended up doing a PhD in neural networks. I mean, I did my BTEC in IIT Chennai and then came to the US to do a PhD. I ended up being very fascinated by the brain and the real neural network, right? The wetware inside our head. And I studied neuroscience and it was a very eye-opening experience. In many ways, I would say that if you really studied how our brain works, at least the little that we know about it, you would almost believe in God if you didn't already. And uh, it it is very impressive. And so I was very fascinated by the possibility of fundamental understanding of brain being uh, developed by being able to simulate it in software. So that's how I ended up in AI. Yeah. And then uh, it was a great journey from then. My first job was at a company that uh, used AI for credit card fraud detection. Uh, and in real time, uh, really understanding the probability that a particular credit card transaction would be a fraudulent transaction. That was an amazing application of AI that opened me up to the business possibilities of it. And then I went on to build AI systems at Amazon and Microsoft, and here I am at Compass. Okay. So what do you think are the trends in AI uh, across industries and including including uh, real estate where you're currently at? Yeah. I mean, first of all, in the last uh, decade or so, AI exploded because data became widely available to learn from. Now, AI today is really something called machine learning, which means you look at historical data, learn patterns from them and predict things. Um, so if you look at large numbers of photographs, you can now start to classify pictures. You can recognize a bird or a house or rooms in a house. You know, that is called deep learning. That exploded. And with that came lots of applications in every industry. 
Now, think about the, some of the applications where we are applying AI to. Imagine you can predict when someone will sell a house. So in the US now, we have data around how long someone has lived in a house, at what rate homes sell in a particular area, what the price per square foot is of that home and other homes in the area and the ones that sell and so on. So you have lots of historical data. Once you have lots of historical data, now you can apply machine learning to learn from that data and predict which homes are more likely to sell and which homes are less likely to sell. Now you can take the ones that are most likely to sell, give that list to a real estate agent who can then go to the homeowner and present a very compelling story of why that particular agent is the best person to sell that home and get the best price and the best experience for that. And so that's an example of both AI and natural intelligence of the agent, right? I call it AI, artificial intelligence, empowering agent intelligence, AI empowering AI. Okay. And so it's a human and AI together becoming better and sharper at a particular task. So that's an example in real estate. There are many other examples. I'll give you one more. Imagine, for example, the challenge of creating a simple video to post on TikTok. Now, a lot of people would, sure, you know, take a phone and take a video. That's one way. But if you had photographs that you wanted to add in, you wanted to have captions, well, it takes hours and hours even for the most experienced people, you know, much less a real estate agent, right? And so we have made, with the pay capability, uh, with the power of AI, the capability to one-click generate a video from photographs already attached to the home. So, for example, if there is a listing for a home, you have already taken pictures. Now, AI can take those pictures, understand what those pictures are, like a bedroom, a bathroom, a kitchen, you know, put nice descriptions on top of it, you know, kitchen with stainless steel appliances or home with uh, water views and put all of those. Then add music in, combine the pictures and the captions and the music into something very pretty and very delightful and instantly give you a video that you can email to a client or or post to social media or TikTok. And thereby, now you are looking like an agent with incredible technology capabilities and incredible scale of marketing, incredible reach on Facebook and so on. Mm -hmm. So you make marketing better. So that's another second example of AI. I can go on and on. <laughs> yeah. So that's very, very fascinating. But then um, do you think that in the future, AI can overtake human intelligence? I think the AI of today is very, very primitive. It is really not artificial intelligence. It okay. is uh, it is software. It's still very much software. I think even primitive capabilities of the brain, like just remembering something, we can't actually remember things in AI in a way human beings remember. Um, we can put things as snapshots in a memory, but that's not the same as remembering things. Uh, AI cannot still simulate the simple capabilities of an ant to find oh. food and congregate and behave in a natural environment. So imagine how few neurons an ant probably has. But, you know, it has eyes, it can smell, it has brains, it can actually form a colony, it can survive, it can find food, it knows how to find food. And even that very small, tiny creature, we are unable to reproduce in software any behavior remotely uh, like an intelligent 
animal. So we're so far that true artificial intelligence is not something we should be in any way afraid of. I think it's very far away. What we have is just software that is capable of learning from data. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then uh, there are scares that uh, AI is going to take away jobs uh, because there's so much of automation everywhere across industries. And so, uh, therefore, uh, what is left for humans to do? I mean, I understand that you're saying it's not overtaking human intelligence, but definitely it's replacing uh, what manual labor human beings could potentially do. So then, uh, what is your thought on that? How should we develop as human beings, as normal uh, human beings? Uh, what skill sets should we develop? Or what do you look for, let's say, uh, for potential uh, job recruits at campus? Yeah, you're asking a very, very fascinating question. And it's a question that dates back to the industrial revolution. Remember, at that time, we had less than a billion people on the entire planet. And machines came in. And machines started automating away the labor of a lot of people. And there are even people called Luddites who actually protested against uh, machines that were now creating, you know, sewing factories and uh, clothes and everything. Uh, in fact, if you look at uh, the last uh, 20, 30 years, just existing traditional machines uh, and uh, nothing to do with AI. Just computers and software alone have uh, driven the vast majority of transformation of the job. Now, what's happening today is not really fundamentally different from what was happening 100 years ago or 150 years ago. It's just that it is happening much faster. Right? The technology change. Mm -hmm. Separate that from AI. AI is just the latest concern. And, and every 10 years going back, there would have been a separate different technology that caused a concern. Computers were a big concern for the longest time, right? It's still in some ways a concern. So AI just has that marketing visibility, but reality is that the biggest elimination of jobs is coming from just simple automation of work. Even it is in a ticketing. Now you don't need a you know, person at a ticket counter. In, you go to a bank, you know, you have dramatically fewer people at a bank today than, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Banks don't need that many people, right? And so there is just that fundamental uh, evolution that is happening because of software and it's happening faster. Now, uh, I don't think AI actually today it has eliminated any job, I mean, really speaking. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, computers and software. And I think that will be in many cases uh, true for a fair amount of time. It will not be AI directly eliminating any particular job. And, okay. um, so, um, so that's one. Now, you asked a second part of the question, so what should we do about it? Uh, well, look, I think that fundamentally the nature of work itself is changing. Everything is becoming knowledge work. And I think the acquisition of skills has become ever more important. Right? In the past, we used to say knowledge is power. Today, knowledge is available in Google. I mean, it's just one search away, but you just have to have the skills to understand what you can read on Google and really apply it. And so now it becomes about skill development. And so we have to figure out ways to upskill our population and a very fast growing population. And fundamentally, it is really up to governments and our uh, enlightened uh, governments to figure out ways to upskill their population and employ them productively and attract capital. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, what exactly? I understand you're saying we need to have skill sets, but then what skill sets? Can you elaborate a bit further on that? 
creative skill sets yeah for example pagya you are doing this podcast you would not have done podcast without technology you would have been writing articles perhaps you know you've adapted to a new uh, skill set and today you have youtube creators you know tiktok creators there are uh, jobs that did not exist in the past but they have something to do with creating something interesting creating something that others will consume uh, so remember at the end of the day an economy involves two sides there's someone who's interested in a product that you're making and jobs are involved in making a product of some type the modern day products are digital products podcasts are a product software on an app uh, on a mobile phone is a product um you know entertainment itself is uh, comes in so many new ways and that's a product and so we're going to have all of these uh non physical products right podcast is a non physical product going to be a tremendous amount of products that are actually virtual and digital and the skills to create those types of products are actually a very valuable skill at this point in time all right okay so uh one is creativity i agree the other conflict that comes to my mind as we talk about non physical non tangible things is emotions So uh, do you think AI in the future is going to develop emotions just like human being Yeah very interesting question uh thank you for asking that I actually think AI can pretend to have emotion uh and because it is again able to learn from human data and simulate how a human behaves uh, a great example of this is a bot that Microsoft used to have and still has in China called Xiaowise X A X I A O I C E uh this is a bot that pretended to have the personality of a teenage girl and uh, when the bot did not know how to answer any question it just pretended to be a teenage girl and being sort of humble and asking the question or you know did you like that oh i did not understand it it just being very simple and humble okay. and it turned out that that was a very engaging chatbot you know some people would talk to that bot for hours and hours the longest conversation was something like 24 hours and a wow. person was opening up his heart and talking about his breakups and you know things like <laughs> that and the bot was able to really really engage that person and keep giving meaningful responses that made the person want to continue the conversation even though the person knew it was a bot right it was uh, yeah, it was not as though he was blind to that he felt that emotional gratification and connection through that chat um and i think that is actually very likely now i have actually interestingly uh, on stage have had a conversation with a humanoid robot that actually looks like a pretty woman has synthetic skin that looks like our skin and if you even touch and it feels the same way and um she had a synthetic voice uh, which was human like and you could ask questions and have a conversation um that was very fascinating you'll see youtube videos of some of that of those kinds of bots i think you don't have to be afraid of ai having emotion but i think you can have a an entertainment device you know that's actually an entertainment device that appears um to be genuine enough that humans even if they know it is a device uh or a bot or a humanoid will find you know pleasant to be with that with that device mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fascinating and i was uh, reading about compass and uh, just got to know that uh, you're setting up your first uh, or the only offshore r&d center in india so being an organization in the us uh, why did you choose india and uh, what's up with that 
Absolutely. It is a talent. Uh, look, I started my first team in India back in 2005 when I was at uh, Amazon and it was a machine learning team. It was a risk analyst team in Bangalore. And uh, I was able to hire great talent there. Over time, my India teams at Amazon grew you know, to well over a thousand people in Bangalore and Hyderabad. And I personally recruited many leaders there. And while I was at Microsoft, I had teams there as well. So there's a high degree of comfort with talent in India and they are very, very good talent. We have been able to hire world-class people. And so one of the first things that we did, uh, almost six, just six months uh, to seven months after I joined Compass, you know, I had to visit India to sell my parents' home. And uh, I was WhatsApping with my CEO here in the U.S. and said, you know, Robert, look, we have some great talent in India. We should consider opening a development center here. And he said, Absolutely, Joseph, let us do it. And the next week, I was starting to interview people. And so we moved very fast. Uh, by number 2019, we had opened the center and we have hired over 135 people now, some of the best engineers from Amazon and Microsoft and Google. And we are going to grow well over 200 this year. Uh, and that growth continues. And they've been doing some cutting edge stuff in AI, in mobile. Um, you know, data intelligence, data analytics, some of the cutting edge stuff, just like my original Amazon teams used to do. Okay, okay. And uh, what are the future plans at the India Development Center? We will establish it as one of our premier, if not perhaps the biggest engineering center in the world, uh, because I believe there is that much talent. And uh, there are groups of engineers and AI scientists in Bangalore, in Hyderabad, in Noida, in, in the New Delhi region, and many people working remotely from all across India. So we'll continue growing and investing. And we have a, an excellent uh, engineering um, methodology that allows people who are remote also to be very, very effective and very productive. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh I think when you say there's a lot of talent in India, you say it more from a technical perspective. Uh, like you said, uh, you've uh, recruited people across the country. What do you uh, look at from a behavioral perspective when you recruit people at the center? Yeah, and I think young, eager uh, people who are willing to work um, to revolutionize something uh, like something that's an industry changing thing. So uh, we find there are many, many, um, you know, very talented, highly intelligent uh, engineers. They may not have had the opportunities of being in the U.S. They may not have the opportunities of being in a U.S. university, but they're equally talented in terms of the ability to learn, the ability to very rapidly adopt uh, their skills, uh, very quickly develop things, and essentially be very flexible as well. And that's that's exciting. When when you bring those people in, it just creates great energy. Yeah. So at my uh, postgraduate college, we used to say you first learn and then uh, you relearn and then you go back and unlearn and then again learn. So I think uh, what you're essentially saying is that we need people who are lifelong uh, learners and uh, flexible enough to uh, unlearn what they learned earlier, to not have those the, uh, egos, right? 100%. And that is true wherever you are, by the way. And Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, attributes his own success to being a lifelong learner. And uh, there's a, a particular philosophy, a mindset uh, called the growth mindset. That, exactly. Growth mindset, if uh, any of you are uh, unfamiliar with it, 
please search on Google, you will find out about growth mindset. It is incredibly important, incredibly important to everyone. Yeah, I love that concept. I really do. Uh, okay, so then coming back to the India Development Center, uh, now that Compass is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, how, how critical do you think is the contribution of the center towards the overall growth of the organization? The future growth of Compass is going to be in big part uh, shaped by the India Dev Center. For example, the Android application was developed entirely in India. Uh, the future of something called the real estate knowledge graph is going to be developed in India. We have hired an excellent leader called Rushi Pat, who used to be the head of AI for LinkedIn in uh, India, uh, who is leading that effort. Um, we hired someone called Gaurav Daga, who was a PM for uh, Microsoft in the Edge browser. And he joined us recently uh, as a senior leader in uh, India. Um, and we are um, able to now uh, drive very sophisticated development uh, and applications from India. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Saroj. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Fascinating, insightful conversation. Thank you. Likewise. It was my pleasure. Thank you. So if you have any feedback or would like to feature an HD Smartcast Leadership Lessons, you can ping me at the rate Pragya Gulati on LinkedIn. You can also write to us at the rate HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast is present across social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. For more such podcasts, go to htsmartcast.com. Thank you. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast